ticket. FC Dallas announcing today that the team and head coach Oscar Pereja have mutually agreed to part ways. 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 Well, hello, and uh, thanks for checking in for episode number six of Third Degree, the podcast. Oh, this one should be really, really good. Uh, I'm Peter, and I'm checking in from a rehabilitation center next door to Toyota Stadium. And also with me on the, today, it's just me and him, the originals, Buzz Carrick, founder and editor of Third Degree. Hello, Peter. I'm uh, calling in from my car as I wait at the San Diego border crossing heading down to Tijuana. All right, let's just get to it. We were all uh, in a tizzy about other things the last time we did uh, a podcast. Now, (laughs) suddenly things have changed dramatically uh, since the last time we spoke. Uh, Buzz, are you as surprised as I was to find out that Oscar Perea has left FC Dallas? No, I don't think I was as surprised as you were. Um, I think in hindsight, uh, this is not really surprising at all, actually. Um, I was caught a little off guard, but I've actually had conversations with Oscar for a long time about how someday this needed to happen. You know, he someday needed to take a next step. And uh, based on his... I don't know, countenance, you know, how he was conducting himself and the things he said and did since originally the, um, the new, the U S national team job was linked to him. Uh, since then, basically he's been a little bit different. You know, we've talked about when the time would be right. And in hindsight, looking back, I think he was sort of hinting around that this was the time. So, uh, you know, I was a little surprised, but I don't think I was surprised as I, as I, as I should have been, or I should not have been surprised at all, really, because I think the writing's been on the wall for a few months now. I, you know, you say, it, you tie it back to when Aldea published the story uh, right. claiming he had done an interview while they were on a road trip to Vancouver, and by all, by all accounts, that turned out not to be true. Um, uh, but I wonder, does it not? I, my first sense that something just didn't seem right was when I had that uh, sit-down conversation with him just post uh, the transfer window and the trade of Kellen to Colorado. Man, it, it, he just did not seem like the same dude. And yeah. as I've said before, he really looked broken-hearted over the whole Kellen Acosta thing, and just almost as if like there was. Uh, like there was nothing he could have done about that, and and while this was different from the Mauro Diaz thing, is was different from the the Arudi and Barrios July, and then that was different from the Castillo July. That whole transfer window, I need to get out of here thing by some of his best players just seemed to really suck the life force out of him. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's the third straight year, in fact, that the season has been harmed not not necessarily by the loss of the talent of the players it's what happens impact wise when people leave mid-season I, I i could give you some statistical evidence about diaz leaving had more to do and how it harmed the team this season how it had to do with uh the locker room and not necessarily like his actual on field play but I, I think that's a good read and you could even go back to last offseason when i'm sure you remember the quotes he had about after uh, you know the cycle of the up and the down, sometimes you got to change all the players or you change the coach. So maybe it's been 
years that he's been thinking about this. I just know that when the U.S. stuff happened, he and I absolutely had a conversation about other things being out there, you know, and I think that that being linked to the U.S. job really opened his eyes as to where he is in terms of respect in this country and maybe from some other countries and what he needed personally to take the next step. But I do think that it's both of those things. I think it's both the inside the organization and him and, you know, and how he's perceived. I think that's all combined of it. And and I agree with you that Acosta was a major, major blow because he did feel, I think a little bit betrayed, you know, of the sense of this was his guy he's developed from the get go and, and for him to want out makes hurt, you know, you and I have had a rather uh, healthy back and forth over the last couple of days uh, since the news broke. Uh, and then specifically since it was made official on Monday, uh, debating over, and you spoke to this just a second ago. You know yeah. what the what the real driver of this decision for Perea has been. Uh, you uh, have, I th- and I don't mean to speak for you, but I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll I'll couch it this way. Essentially, you tend to feel that this is largely ambition driven. That he decided he needed to try and uh, take the next step if he was really going to elevate his career. And I uh, very much believe that while I agree with you, I think the driver of this is is that he finally came to the realization he couldn't do anything else with this club and with this gig and with this ownership. That essentially he had squeezed every ounce of juice out of it possible. Um, and, uh, and then I also think something happened that just and it maybe it was the U.S. men's national team thing that just finally flipped that switch in him where he went, okay, screw it, I'm going to go look for another gig. Yeah, I think uh, that's true. You and I are, but we're only a little bit apart on this. I mean, I think we're talking semantics in a lot of ways because I totally agree that what you're saying is true. I think that he definitely was like, I've kind of run this as far as I can run this. It's just that I think the the majority of it, not the majority of it, I guess it's the majority, greater than fifty percent of it uh, for me. Is the goes back to a conversation we had about uh, Oscar and I had about um, what he would need to do to show that he was ready, for example, for a job like the Colombian national team, which to him is a very personal job that I know he would love to have someday. And that conversation entailed things like I've shown that I can produce with young talent and I've shown I can get a lot out of a limited roster. Well, what's the thing I need to show next? Well, maybe that's working in a super hot cauldron of insane media and insane fandom and even crazy owner and crazy player ego showing. And he specifically, he and I specifically talked about Mexico and how different that is. So I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't devalue your point that I think he for sure had reached the point where I've done all I can here. I'm not getting the support I need here. That's definitely is part of it. But there's also a huge conversation that all of us have had about how he can for sure come back here someday. Even this week, the team has on some social media platforms mentioned that we know Oscar will always be welcome here and he will come back here someday. And I think that's true. I just, I just think that the timing hit when, as you say, that job, the national team job linking hit him hard. Acosta even hit him hard. Again, he didn't get the striker that he wanted that hit him hard. And it's, and, and, and I know this isn't a big deal, but his son, his youngest son, Diego is now going to college, so he's about to have an empty nest for the first time. So all those things lined up, and his and the backdoor connections he has with some of his assistants, Zolo, lined up 
okay, it's time. Five years is a pretty good run with a team. So for me, it's a tiny bit more ambition than the rest. For you, it's the rest, and that's okay too. Yeah, I'll just make my case based on two thoughts. One is um, I have a very, very hard time believing, uh, considering that he had not yet won MLS Cup, which was really the ultimate thing that he had repeatedly stated was his number one goal with this team. Uh, If, in fact, he knew that he had the specific players that he wanted, specifically a true goal-scoring number nine, um, the right midfield players, a different level of inbound signings, etc., I find it almost impossible to believe that the man who loved this club more than anybody else in the world, I truly believe that Oscar Perea loves this club more than Dan and Clark Hunt do, more than you do and I do. I mean, like literally, Oscar loves this club more than anybody else. I find it impossible to believe he would have skipped town knowing that he had the pieces he believed he needed to accomplish the number one goal. That's my first uh, thing I'll, I'll throw out there. The second right. thing, well, and, and let me... Let, oh, uh, let me just get to the second one, because I think the the second relates to the first, which is the other part of this story that I find really weird is that he is going to Tijuana, Club Tijuana, which is an absolute disaster in terms of a club that keeps coaches for for a period of time. They literally have burned through 10 coaches in eight seasons, and why he would... I mean, it's not, I mean, here's the thing. Does Oscar have a lot of offers on the table or is this the one big offer that's showed up and he just took the first one because he was like, screw it, I'm done, I'm out of here. And, and, and that's the thing that really is driving my position that this is more about frustration and realizations of the reality of what he could do here versus, um, hey, I, I just really want to go do something else because I think I'm ready for the next thing. I think that's a hundred percent valid take. I, I, I can't refute that. I mean, I don't have any evidence or any empirical conversation with him to say that you're wrong. Uh, you know, I, I definitely think that all of that is a big part of this for sure. I just put a tiny bit more weight on the ambition part. You know, I, I I've had conversations with him where he talked about part of the idea of doing this is that he can push himself and develop himself and become a bigger, a better coach or whatever you would want to think of him as. And that he can someday bring all that back here. You know, he's talked openly about that love of the club and everything he does, even pursuing his own career, is about someday helping this organization. So I I definitely can't refute any of your takes on that because I think it's absolutely true that he hasn't gotten the support you want. And it's absolutely true that he's he's looking at a reload again, you know, and does he really want to reload again at FC Dallas? And I think – he, he maybe maybe he's not maybe maybe as you say maybe this is the first job and he really just wants to get out here. I can't I can't deny that idea. But if you're a fan of uh, the Huntsman and if you just on just for the sake of an argument accept that that is the reality or that's the reason why uh, Oscar decided he didn't want to be here anymore, that can't make you feel good about the future about this club, can it? Well, uh, not particularly, but. Um, I think if you are already a fan of this club, you would have already known that that's the way things are here. You know, it's not it's not like this is different than any other previous version of the Hunts running this team. You know, in the end, the Hunts are the people that kept this team alive. You know, it would have gone away when they collapsed Tampa and Miami. 
So they're not going to sell the team. They got rid of all their other teams. This is their legacy team. So the Hunts are going to own this team, and the Hunts are going to be the Hunts. This is this is the way they run this organization. You know, we we saw right at the end of the season that article with quotes from Dan Hunt where he talks about maybe they're already fine. They don't need to add any players, and we all think that's crazy, but that is what it is. So I can't sell you on the idea that if you want a Seattle Sounders type organization or an Atlanta United type organization or a Toronto FC type organization that spends money on big time flashy names, signs 10, $10 million contracts. That's, that's not going to happen here. I can't, I can't sell you that that's going to happen here. All I can sell you is this is your local team. The people that own it are investing the mon- their money the way they think it should be invested, which is the uh, hall of fame facilities and the youth program and they're trying to make it so the thing will survive. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of money. I don't think it makes any money yet. At least the first team doesn't. So I don't have an optimistic rainbow future. All I can tell you is that the Hunts seem to think that this is the way to make a team survive. And if you're interested in local professional soccer, this is what you have. And as much as it stinks that we've lost the best coach we think we've ever had, you know, these things happen. They'll get another coach. They'll find somebody. They'll get somebody pretty decent, I think. They'll maintain their youth club. And that that pipeline of youth club with the additions of foreign signings, that combo is how you stay at the top of the league now. The best teams in the league are combinations of foreign signings and domestic homegrown development. And this club does that. So they're going to be pretty good. But they're not going to be superstar famous names. Well, they, they do it to a degree. They don't do it quite like... Uh, the other teams do because the no. one really significant differentiator is they don't they don't spend transfer fee money. So if you go look at pretty much any of the other clubs that have been successful, specifically in the playoffs of late, while Dallas may actually be out, you know, Dallas actually outspent New York and Kansas City this year in terms of salary. What they didn't outspend them on is transfer fee money uh, over the course right. of the people that are on this roster. Uh, you know, um, the Hunts. And uh, Fernando have been really, really specific about, you know, that low risk, high reward. And sometimes that pays off. Rito Ziegler, absolutely a fantastic pick. Uh, Jetterson, not so much. Uh, and then the one time they did go out and spend a bunch of money, at least for them, Christian Coleman, well, we know the end of that story as well. So right. um, we'll talk more about who's next in, in a few minutes. My, sure. my other question for you is, two parts because you're the one that spends the most time around the club and I know you've had lots of conversations uh with Oscar uh that you've mentioned but I also but the the people uh, my question is how do you think one the Hunt brothers reacted to this news and two how do you think the players are taking this well that's a good question um I would figure that the Hunts um shouldn't have been totally surprised. I mean, if they've been talking to their coach or if they've watched their coach on a consistent basis, they shouldn't be totally blown away by this and shocked by this. I wouldn't think, you know, five years is a pretty good run. I know they gave him a new contract extension and what's in 2017. I think they did that. So, you know, they probably weren't real happy about it. You know, they probably would have liked to have kept Oscar for a long time, but it shouldn't be a shocker. And, uh, the players is a good question. Um, I think the guys that have been pros for a while know this happens. You know, anyone that's over the age of say 24 and has transferred teams themselves and has had coaches leaves themselves shouldn't be too shocked. You know, I mean, I, I think that 
somebody like a Uruti or a Barrios or a Ziegler for sure, these guys are going to know that this is how the game works. You know, some of the younger kids who maybe felt Oscar had developed them, you know, if you want to talk about your Paxtons or your Savanias, you know, uh, those guys who have come up with Oscar or a Victor Uloa whose whole career has been because of Oscar, you know, those guys are probably a little bit concerned because Oscar's all they've ever known. But uh, both of those questions lead me back to candidates, you know, and we'll talk about those, but you know, you know how the hunts operate, you know, they want that consistency and that internal family stuff. So, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of players are going to save their reaction until they see who they get as a coach. It'll be really interesting to see if Oscar cherry picks any players out of this club. If he comes in and buys anybody, whether it be a veteran or a youth player, that'll tell you quite a bit about how he really feels about some guys, I think. The other, uh, you know, so uh, prior to us recording this, there was a report on Twitter of Maxi Arruti uh, stating that he was not going to go back to uh, old boys in Argentina, that they were far apart on money, and that he had a two-year deal here in Dallas, and he wanted to respect that. Um, but that was an interesting piece of news. But the player that I think I, you know, I'm most interested, I don't, not that we're ever going to get a chance to talk to him, maybe you will, that I think probably has a giant question mark over his head has got to be Pablo Arangis. Yeah, he's the player that um, Oscar, like most, has under his wing right now and is most protective of and most, and I think really almost sees some of himself in him. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he, Oscar was that young kind of playmaker when he was that same age. You know, I think that's a, that's a really interesting question. Uh, he's the one who Rangis is the one who, if you thought, boy, if I'm, if I'm a taking a high profile job, who's the super mercurial talent that I'm going to pick out of FC Dallas. That's probably the guy, you know, or unless there's some young, uh, 17 or 18 year old, you're really crazy about that. You haven't been telling anybody about, but, um, you know, that, I think he's likely a, a guy Oscar might come back for. I think, um, uh, believe it or not, I think Barrios might be a guy that he would come back for. You know, that kind of, you can't teach speed, you know, and he's got Castillo yeah. on the other side. You know, why wouldn't you try and replicate that success? <laughs> you know, because he's got Castillo at the new place he's going. So, uh, you know, I, I think you're right that Arangis is the one uh, that probably is the most interesting from like a, oh, I'm going to try and make this guy a superstar sort of project. And Dallas, of course, We'll want to keep them. I mean, those guys are all under contract for a reason. Well, that's a whole aspect of this uh, story that I hadn't really thought about till you just brought it up. And, man, it would create all sorts of tension around here if Oscar leaves the club and then the Hunts begin selling off either one, two, or however many players to Oscar down in Liga MX uh, for a tidy sum. Man, that would just that would yeah. set people off. It really, uh, in this town, especially if it's critically key players, like if it was a Barrios or an Arangis or a, or Cervania or any of the the homegrown kids, while it yeah. may be good for those players professionally, the 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 actual uh, tone and look that would have on the hunts would be awful. Well, keep in mind too that one of the reasons Oscar appeals to Zolos is that they're trying to break into San Diego. You know, they, they wanted a coach who could speak English and had a name that would translate into the United States across the border. So if you're looking at poaching from a major league soccer club, you know, why wouldn't you poach a guy that those people in San Diego maybe have that our soccer fans might have actually heard of like a Barrios or an Arangis from an MLS club? 
So who do you, uh, you, you wrote a, a great article over at Third Degree Net and the Dallas Morning News uh, mentioning who you thought were the top five most likely candidates. Uh, you wrote that the day after the news broke. Uh, right. So now I'm wondering several days later, has that, has that list changed or the order of the list changed in any way for you? Well, the fifth guy on that list was always a super long shot, uh, crazy idea. But the, the top four, I think, are still pretty legitimate. The the fourth one, I think, maybe has fallen down the wayside a little bit. Uh, and maybe another uh, former FC Dallas player may have popped into that list and maybe climbing up that list. Um, if you want to go through it guy by guy, we can do that. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Well, so the, the, the person I think is the most likely is actually uh, Marco Ferruzzi. Who, um, while he's been one, of, he's on Oscar's staff. He's not what you I call, and this is only my own expression. One of Oscar's boys. Oscar didn't hire him when he came. I mean, Oscar certainly approved his retention, but he didn't go find him and bring him to FC Dallas. Marco's been here for 15 years under four head coaches previously, and has even been interim head coach. He has an A coaching license. His son plays for the academy. He's a San Antonio native. So, like, of the guys on the staff now. He's the one that, to me, makes the most sense if you follow the Hunt's traditional method of hiring. Every coach the Hunt's have hired, other than Shellis Hyman, has been an assistant of the former coach. Colin Clark was an assistant under Jeffries. Steve Morrow was an assistant under Colin Clark. Oscar was an assistant under uh, Morrow and under Shellis Hyman. And Shellis was, of course, Colin Cl- Clark's, not Colin Clark, excuse me, Clark Hunt's coach at SMU. And then, again, Oscar, an assistant under four of two two former guys. So that's five coaches they've hired. Every single one of them was a family connection or an assistant already. So if you follow that method, it's going to be Marco Ferruzzi. Outside of that, the name that gets bandied around a lot is Lucci Gonzalez, who's the up and coming, uh, highly thought of coach who runs the Academy for a couple of years now. I put him slightly lower because he's never coached adults. Uh, as a head coach or an assistant coach, he's only coached high school kids and academy kids. So I actually think the perfect step for him would be to run the USL team. I think that's pretty much a foregone conclusion. Candidates after that were um, a lot of people liked the idea of Caleb Porter, which I'm not so high on just because uh, he doesn't really have much of a connection to the hunts. Uh, but I did put him on my list. Uh, he's obviously a former MLS Cup winner with Portland. He did coach the uh, a national championship at Akron. I think it was national championship. Uh, and he also coached yeah, the U.S. U23 team. So he has some youth development success and some MLS success. So he's a hot name. Uh, ahead of him, I actually have Jason Christ as a higher uh, on my list of ideas. Jason is a former Dallas Burn player, FC Dallas player, arguably the best player in team history, certainly the most accomplished in MLS for, by any means. Um, he did play for the Hunts, so there is a, a like a two-year uh, connection there. He has won an MLS Cup, and I think the teams that have not done well for him, New York was a cluster, and Orlando, he actually, I think, I think he had them playing well above their talent because they they were at 500 when he was fired, and they only won two games the rest of the year. So I, I think he was doing some good coaching there. So those are the the four legitimate ones uh, in the order of Marco, um, Lucci, Christ, Caleb. And then my outside the box that I talked about was Leano Alvarez, who has coached uh, is the person who taught FC Dallas basically how to be a professional franchise when he came here in the early days of the burn. Uh, he's a phenomenal 
world-class player. He's proven to be a pretty dang good coach, coaching Columbia, coaching, uh, winning a couple titles with uh, Independiente. Um, I don't, he's got a job currently in Paraguay, so I don't think he's very likely, but anyone that's connected with this club knows that that would be a dream hire and an amazing hire, and that's a way outside-the-box hire that would change your whole organization probably. Yeah, I should say real quickly, for those who are listening who are relatively new to the team and probably uh, have little knowledge, and I'm always amazed how many people <laughs> uh, are fans of this club that know nothing about the Dallas Burn part of it, uh, you should absolutely take some time to do some research on Lionel Alvarez and yeah. the history behind him. Uh, I'll just put it this way. Lionel, also a Colombian looked like a Colombian drug lord. He was the meanest looking dude you could possibly imagine. And one of my favorite stories about Lionel was that there was a Lionel Alvarez lookalike um, that lived here in Dallas. Do you remember that guy that used to come to the games? No, I don't. Yeah, there was a guy that lived in town that was a fan of the team who looked a lot like Lionel and sometimes would, you know, if you caught up with him in the store and and mistook him for Lionel, he'd sign autographs and stuff. Uh, the long stringy hair, the the mustache, the kind of squinty eyed look. Yeah, that was my favorite thing. There was a Lionel Alvarez uh, fake running around town for a long time back in the in the window of time he was here. He was fantastic. He was the meanest dude ever to play for this team. And uh, while I agree he'll never uh, end up being the next coach, at least I can't imagine he would. Uh, there's a little part of a uh, little. Uh, 1997 me that would love to see Leon Alvarez oh. uh, coaching this team. Yeah, when he was with the, at Dallas Burn uh, coming out of the 94 World Cup, he and Carlos Valderrama were arguably the best midfield pairing in the world. They were an amazing combination, and they sh- they arguably should have won the 94 World Cup if their keeper hadn't gotten suspended for playing with uh, game with Pablo Escobar. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite stories about Lionel is Brian Hayes says, Brian Haynes says that Lionel used to run midfielder only practices on his own where he would take the starting five midfield and he would go play five players against a full local Hispanic side, five players versus 11 players full field. And that was how they would practice with just the midfield, which is amazing to me. Remind me, help me remember back when he was here, were they playing uh, a diamond midfield with um, uh, uh, Jason in front of him? How was What was the formation they were playing back then it with was, Lionel? Well, Durr ran a couple of different formations, but with Lionel, it was mostly a 3-5-2, and they would use you know, two strikers with a with number 10 behind them, and then it would be Lionel and somebody else, and that somebody else was usually more of an 8 kind of player, you know, thinking that, you know, it was Eck sometimes, but sometimes it wasn't, you know, it it would just depend, you know, but that Lionel mostly played as a pure holding mid and it was mostly in a three, five, two. Yeah. Uh, He was amazing. Anyway, sorry. I didn't mean to go into the way back machine, but we started talking about him and that just, uh, yeah, I, I can't, I, I, if you don't know anything about him, trust me, uh, fans, you will absolutely thank yourself for taking a few minutes to Google Lionel Alvarez. Yeah, so if we want to get back to the coaching candidates, a name that has come up uh, mostly in social media, but through some reports um, in South America, too, that have talked a little bit about this idea, and that's Jorge Rodriguez, uh, El Zarco. He uh, is a former Dallas Burn player and is also um, a guy that was more of a brainy kind of player, a defender, uh, and he has been coaching quite successfully uh, with a bunch of teams from south of here as well and has won a couple of championships. And apparently his, his, the it has gotten around that whether 
it's actually true that he's a candidate or whether people just think he's a candidate. He apparently is on some people's lists for candidate to be a head coach. And that's certainly a very viable name. Uh, he doesn't have a hunt connection. He does have a franchise connection. And he certainly would be a guy that if you were to ask around, the hunts were to ask around people they know would certainly be highly recommended by anyone that currently at the organization or from the past. So uh, he doesn't have the hunt connection we look for, but he definitely has the club connection and is certainly a fantastic coach and a very viable name as well. Yeah, he would be an interesting one uh, to talk to. I'm not quite sure um, how legit – I don't know how good of an MLS coach he would be. Uh, there was a couple of people on Twitter that said something. Well, he played in MLS. Well, <laughs> that was so long ago. That's like me yeah. saying I, I, you know, I know how the old high school works. Still, you know, it was, it was a really, really long time ago. Um, and uh, and so I don't know what kind of coach he could be. Plus, at the team he's at now, he's essentially at the biggest club in that particular league with Alianza and making. You know, they've got a they, relative to that league got the most amount of funds and get the biggest names and players. Uh, he won't get that same treatment back here in Dallas. So, uh, interesting name. Uh, yeah. I don't know how legitimate it is. And I also wonder if his uh, sudden uh, name popping up out of nowhere isn't part of either his agent or himself or family members uh, kind of creating that story. It certainly could be. Uh, a lot of times people use MLS to try and leverage more out of other leagues. But at the same time, uh, you know, coaching and living in the United States does have a certain appeal uh, beyond just the pure dollar for dollar value of it, you know, and if, and the question of whether he could coach an MLS, the biggest question for FC Dallas would be how is he with developing young talent? Because obviously the Dallas method is both the homegrowns and their foreign signings. They go young, you know, they spend that money on those young 21 year old Latin American kids and hope that five years later, they're Mauro Diaz, you know, so that would be what you'd have to look at what he's doing down, uh, at Alonzia and wonder, can he bring players along? That's what Dallas needs. Dallas doesn't need a guy that babysits egomaniacs. They need a guy that develops talent because that's what their MO is. And that's why you see names like domestically, you see like a name like Tab Ramos pop up. I mean, I can't think of any connection he has to the hunts, but he's the current USU 20 coach. He certainly is used to, de- used to dealing with young kids. He certainly would have a firm grasp on five or six of the players in the Dallas system because he's called up a bunch of the academy kids and has three of them there right now. So, you know, you could pick a lot of names out of a hat that are legit candidates. And that's, again, that's just another name that we could say, why not? That could be a legit candidate. Well, related to that, let me, let me throw in my argument as to why uh, Dan and Clark will hire somebody outside of the uh, four walls of Frisco. And that is this. The other thing to consider is, is that, you know, Oscar's decision to leave sets up an opportunity for Dan and Clark to completely start over because not only now have they lost their head coach, don't forget, they also recently lost their technical director. Fernando Clavillo is not coming back, um, I'm sad to say. Um, and while they have somebody in his place, uh, that's a new role as well for that person. Um, and, you know, I... <laughs> I guess if they were to bring somebody else in from the outside, it's possible that his position uh, is at somewhat at risk at being changed as well. But it does give Dan and Clark an opportunity to really consider the opportunity of if we're going to start over and, and build a new core and do all of that, why not bring in somebody with a completely different set of eyes and a different set of thinking, um, but that is or has a track record of dealing with young players and growing young players 
um, uh, and and starting over from there. I, I, I think that's part of this we haven't really talked about is the fact that now both the technical director and the coach are gone from this season, and 2019 really does create an opportunity for a totally new start. Yeah, I think that's a valid question. Certainly, if you want to talk about an outside-the-franchise the candidate, like just, for example, Todd Ramos, he's almost certainly going to want to be his own uh, player personnel sort of person. Like Whether that be he had that title or whether he, he brings in somebody with that title or whether he kept Muzi, uh, Luis Muzi, who currently is in that sp- position, he's going to want to oversee that. So, you know, I... I, that would probably also be true of someone like uh, Caleb Porter, perhaps, or even you know. Jason Christ. Yeah, Jason. I, you know, I, I haven't talked to Jason in a decade, so I don't know where he would be in terms of um, how that would fit. You know, I mean, any anyone inside the organization, whether it be Lucci or or Marcos, Marco uh, is going to be like, oh, I already know this guy. I have a relationship with this guy. We're fine. So the, the reason I lean that way is, is only because the history of the hunts. You know, it's the way they operate is to go inside the family. You know, if, if, as you say, it does present them with an ideal time to maybe reset the whole thing in terms of their soccer operations. But in terms of the team, I don't know they need a complete reset. I mean, the defense is good. The defense is going to be coming back. You know, the offense needs some help, but that's a solvable issue. Put it lightly. <laughs> you know, yeah, but you also have some pieces. I mean, you want to try and build around Arangis unless you sell them to Oscar at Zolos. Right. But, you know, I... I I, it does make a point, and that that does lean towards the idea that I think they will go internal because anybody they get from outside. I mean, imagine if they were to hire somebody like and you can't, but just say they could get Bob Bradley, you know, or Bruce Arena, Bruce Arena, or Chirundolo, or, or Bearhalter, yeah, and Ziggy, any of these guys, you know, anybody that's an established name, you know, even if it was a big college coach. You know, or a guy who's dominated the USL, like like somebody just hired Louisville's Louisville City's coach after they won two straight titles. You know, I mean, those guys are not going to want to come in and have someone they don't know at all, uh, whether it had been Fernando or whether it had been now uh, Luis Muzi. You know, that that's a big question. So that that even more for me piles it on a internal candidate. Yeah, I you know the other aspect of this, and and maybe uh, their own track record in this area answers my question, but I do wonder if there's an element of uh, them uh, of Dan and Clark kicking the dirt and frustration because you know what they just finished building an entire new section of the stadium. They've got four thousand more seats to sell sixteen times a season uh, than they had previously. Uh, Clearly, ticket sales and attendance are a small issue. Um, and, and announcing Marco Ferruzzi as the new head coach, uh, we love Marco. Marco is probably very deserving of the gig, but no doubt about it, that will absolutely put the biggest question mark over most people's heads, even up until the most hardcore fans. They don't know who that dude is, and that's certainly not going to yeah. create any new excitement for 2019. Yeah, it's not going to sell you any tickets for sure. You know, if that's your goal, is is if the intention of this hire is to sell tickets, then it's not going to be Marco or Lu- Lucci, either one. It's going to be somebody like a Kreis or like a Caleb Porter or, as you say, a Tob or Lionel Alvarez. You know, uh, I don't. I just don't know. It, it may depend a lot on how close they think this team is. You know, if they think this team is 
one player away or just a slight tweak away from winning a title, then then you're gonna they're gonna go. I would think they're gonna go somebody internal because you and I both think. I think I, I shouldn't speak for you. I think that they think more about winning than they do about selling tickets. They think winning will sell tickets, so their hire is going to be focused on winning. So how close they are in their minds will determine how big or how different they go. I think. Um, yeah, there's a whole side conversation about how I think uh, the priority uh, in <laughs> yeah. Dan and Clark's mind it, it starts at bottom line, then winning, and then ticket sales, and it and and it's this weird. Uh, uh, calculus equation, algebraic equation that equals out into something they feel comfortable with. And in this moment in time, it's working for them. Um, uh, you know, uh, but I, I, it, that, that equation gets broken up pretty easily or thrown out of whack. If you start adjusting any of those variables, uh, too dramatically, like, you know, spending a lot of money on a number nine or, uh, spending a ton of money on marketing to try to fill those 6,000 seats, uh, 16 times a year that you seem to be short game in and game out. So, um, I get it. I'm not, look, they've got a family that's been running a sports team for, you know, the better part of three quarters of a, a century. Now, uh, they, they know how to do that and keep things solvent. Um, it, just doesn't always make for the most entertaining uh, or the most uh, uh, encouraging in terms of year in and year out being competitive uh, and, and at least competitive for an MLS cup. How about that? Uh, they've obviously been competitive season yeah. and season out in terms of wins. Well, that's what we always say, right? Is just look at the Kansas city chiefs. Like if you want to model for what this franchise is going to look like, just look at the chiefs. And, and that gets back to that money. That bottom line gets back to how much are they going to be willing to pay a coach? Like what's the coach salary here? None of us really knows. We can assume pretty safely, I think, that it's not on par with the Galaxy or LAFC or New York Red Bulls or NYSCFC or Atlanta, maybe even not on par with Toronto or Orlando. I mean, I would have to guess that this job probably pays in the bottom half of the league in terms of salary. So you're not going to command the big, huge names are not going to come to Dallas just for that very reason alone. Why would I come there for eight hundred thousand dollars a year when i could go somewhere else for three million well yeah and that and that is a really good point because when people are clamoring for a caleb or a christ or a ramos or somebody or a burhalter or somebody of that level uh, you know part of the thing is it's just like any big name player that coach has to want to come here too and want to play for whatever dan and clark are willing to pay them now to dan and clark's credit you know, after they tried with Amaro uh, and Clark um, in their original uh, few years of owning the club and taking over the club, they finally said, screw it, we're going to go get the guy we really want and have wanted all along, which was Shellis Hyman. For better or worse, let, let's set his record aside. The truth is, is that Dan and Clark truly in their hearts believed that Shellis could be a kick-ass MLS coach, and they were willing to essentially back up the truck to his house and say, all right, what is it going to take us to get you to leave this amazingly cushy and successful gig you have at SMU to come do this up in Frisco? And they finally made that happen. Now, we know how that all worked out it almost worked in 2010 but you know over the course of the five years or whatever however many years is here it by large wasn't super successful um and then when they realized that that was over the the next step was to go to colorado and literally money whip the rapids into selling oscar Perea back to them 
um, which was probably the smartest business decision those two guys have ever made and was super impressive at the time because that was the coach everybody wanted them to hire and they got it done. So, uh, you know, we we've uh, I in particular have been very critical of Dan and Clark in this uh, new s- uh, turn of events, uh, and I believe rightfully so. But I will also be fair and say that you know when it when they were in this position um, five years ago, uh, they did what they needed to do to get the man they wanted. My question is now is. Who is it they want this time? That's the part that I'm really confused about. Is it is it a function of continuity, or is it a function of let's just kickstart this whole thing over from a, a brand new uh, thread? Yeah, I mean they offered the job three times to Shells before he took it, you know. And you're right that they that they went out and spent money to get him. Uh, by the way, he's got his new school in the tournament all the time again. Uh, and they went out and got Oscar. But again, both times, those are guys that they had relationships with. That's the heart, right? That's yeah. the family. So it's like you look around at all the candidates that we, we're bandying about. Do you see anywhere a candidate that is the heart for the hunts, that has that connection, that pure trust, that pure family feel about? And I don't see one other than what they usually do when they don't have one, which is hire an assistant that they know, right? Trust, faith. The devil, you know, not the one you don't know. You know, if you're going to risk your franchise, they're not they're they're risk averse, right? They're not a group that goes out and spends millions of dollars. They spend tight budget, tight strings, low risk. That's the way they sign people. That's the way they do everything. So I, I assume this is going to be a low risk hire. That means Marco. You know, Ruzi. Yep, and and it should be noted that despite the fact that it's only been five years, so much has changed with this club in five years in terms of the size and value and importance and performance of the academy, and and, yeah. and we should never forget that at the end of the day, it is the academy and the youth club that is driving the finances of this entire operation. You know, there's the three elements. There's the senior team, the stadium, and then the youth thing. And that the the, the last of those three is the real money maker out of the out of the trio um, and 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 they won't want to do anything that puts that at risk. And when I really, uh, you know, in reflection of what's happened in the last uh, week with Oscar, my biggest concern about this has been his tentacles down into the youth part of this was so deep that I, I just wonder that his separation out of that, uh, of, out of the club, how much that impacts not just the thing that we see at MLS senior level, but how much it's going to change everything that is critical to powering the academy and the youth clubs. Yeah, and I think to follow that up, uh, the, the Hunts are backing up a truckload of money for this USL team. And a lot of that is about paying off the academy, right? It's about it's another way to sign guys and then put them in the shop window to either develop them into your team or to sell them off to other places. You know, there, there are other leagues that are near or even right below the MLS level that will buy players. It doesn't always have to be up. It doesn't always have to be Europe. And then on the lines of the development of the money they've spent around here this lot this year it's been striking me a lot as i thought back to the early days of this team when you would go to training when dave durr was running things it would be dave he had two assistants and i don't even remember there being a trainer like the assistants were like the trainers they would tape guys up you know there was no pr guy 
And every year and every season to season, it's been a little more and a little more and a little more. And now when you're at an FC Dallas session, not only are there three full-time assistants and a full-time goalkeeper coach, there's two full-time strength and conditioning guys, three trainers ahead and then two assistant trainers, three equipment guys ahead and two assistant equipment guys, and not to mention like three or four other coaches that just show up from the academy to help out. And they're hiring guys all up and down the academy level, like Javier Morales, uh, bringing Peter Lucine back, bringing in guys like Michelle now, who's working with the academy. So, you know, like they're investing in these coaches. Uh, you know, they, they, they go out and bring in great youth coaches, too, from other clubs. You know, they, they're putting a bunch of money into this methodology. And how that integrates with the first team is going to be a huge part of anybody they hire. They're not going to hire somebody that's going to be all about uh, bringing in big-time, priced, foreign-free agents. They're going to hire somebody that's about developing academy players. Goodness, excuse me. Developing academy players and developing your Pablo Arangis as guys that they've targeted and have, want to make into your next Mauro Diaz. So, again, it all everything about this organization comes back to and points to the kind of host, coach that they're going to hire. Well, um, if you can't tell out of all of this buzz, I'm uh, I'm not yeah. a happy camper. I can um, tell. I you know I I do like to believe that first and foremost I'm a uh, I'm a fan of this club. I have been since day one, um, and I, I I really am upset that. Well, let me say this: I'm bummed out that Oscars left, um, and and it would have been different if. Uh, the team had failed to make the playoffs again, and there was clearly dissension in the ranks, and they said, you know what, it's probably best, Oscar, if you go find something else to do. But it, it, the fact that Oscar was the one that made this decision and has decided that he's got other things he'd rather do, that really hurts, right? I mean, it's just, it's disappointing, and I'm, and I'm upset that it got to this point. Yeah. Now, that said, this is sports, this is business, you know, as I, as yeah. I wrote in the article the other day, if if there's a if there's a silver lining to this, it is the one where Dan and Clark get the message that their personal best ever business decision decided to go out and make one of his own, and take that as an opportunity to uh, improve upon. Uh, what they've already created so that when they get their next coach that they really want and feel is the exact fit is willing to stick it out until they win an MLS cup. That's what I'm hoping is the silver lining out of all of this. I hope that the, that the people running the organization have learned something from this. I'm with you. I, you know, when, when it first came down, I was the same as you. I, I wanted Oscar to be the Greg Popovich of MLS and be here for 20 years uh, the difference and is that MLS is not the NBA. The NBA is the pinnacle of basketball. The MLS is not the pinnacle of soccer. So I, I tried to, I tried to think about it in terms of Oscar himself, a guy I've known for 20 years and a guy I want the best for a guy who's earned the best. Right. So what is the best for him personally? And if he really feels this is the best career move for him, then I'm super happy for him. And I hope that he does great things. And I hope that someday we're watching him coach Real Madrid, right? Or Colombia. That would be probably more fun. But 
I think you're also on the right track that I, I think the hunts have come to believe because their last two hires have been Shellis and Oscar. And that's when they've done the best things. Shellis took them to their only MLS cup ever. Right. And Oscar has created the Academy and has, has this team playing the best soccer over the last five years of its entire existence on a consistent basis. Now playoff success is different, but for the most part, Oscar's had this team the best that it's ever been. I think that's pretty fair. So I would, I would hope that, and I think you're completely right that the hunts are a hundred percent going to be thinking we got to get our guy again. Who's our next guy. And that's where we run into a problem because I really don't see somebody out there that is the next hunt guy. Right. I mean, it's, there's a relationship with Christ a tiny bit, but remember they also let Christ go, you know, but you Porter, don't. So do you? You don't think that they see Marco or Lucci as that guy? I, I think that there's a chance that they think that Marco or Lucci are the closest thing they have. But neither one of those guys is Oscar, or Shellis. I mean, Shellis is an entirely different animal. Shellis is a 40 year family friend, right? Right. Over there at Christmas and stuff. Oscar, for them, has been their captain for a decade before he was their created their academy. You know, that's that's different. I certainly think that that Marco and Lucci are the closest to that and i think that's why it's going to be that direction and why i think it'll be marco but i don't if you want to talk about outside the team and a big name or a big opportunity or like a crazy awesome coach i just don't see anybody that's like that i don't see anybody the hunts have a long established relationship with this trust this faith this heart relationship with that's not already working for them so that's, that's why I, I always, the top of the list is always going to be the internal candidates. Well, I'll tell a quick story, and I don't know if anybody's going to believe me, and, and I, don't, I don't care if anybody believes this, but when we were sitting in that press conference, that last press conference on that Halloween night um, uh, after losing to Portland and getting knocked out of the playoffs, um, I was sitting in there listening to Oscar uh, with the, uh, the, the depressingly few media members that were in there. And I had this, uh, I had this moment where I almost tweeted out, I wonder if I'm listening to the last Oscar Perea press conference. And I actually typed the tweet and I was about to hit send and I didn't. In fact, I think I even have it saved as a draft in my notes in my Twitter, uh, program. Because I thought, man, that's it, the, the timing's not right, and that's just going to seem uh, uh, cheap to say that now. But in retrospect, it, there's so many elements about that evening and his body language and, and the way he, his willingness to, to continue to do the press conference even when um, uh, Gina and Carter, the media people, tried to end it. Uh, pretty quickly uh, his willingness to kind of stick through it uh, just there was a really really odd vibe that night and it completely bums me out that 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 night and how this season ended is the the termination of Oscar uh, Oscar's uh, time as coach here at FC Dallas yeah I 100% believe that in that press conference he knew he was leaving because I, I agree with you like I totally read that when he waved off that no no I'm staying I'm gonna answer every question that and even the way he answered it when he was completely and utterly frank and calm and like, here's exactly what I was thinking. You know what I mean? Like that there was a weird vibe to it. So I, I agree with you. I didn't get I didn't make the leap as far as you did. But in hindsight, I 100 percent buy that argument that he was at that point that he knew, particularly the way he was the way he told the media, no, I'm staying. I'm going to sit here until they're done. 
you know, because there weren't that many of us. There were only maybe five, six, seven of us. And most of us are people that are around quite frequently. It wasn't a whole bunch of strangers, you know. Well, there certainly is uh, a subset of fans who think um, this is actually a good thing. Uh, there, there were people who were not happy with Oscar as a coach. Uh, they didn't like his player selection. They didn't like his tactics. Uh, you know, and they felt that he wasn't making the most out of the situation. I certainly one hundred thousand percent disagree with those people. Um, and I and and. And for everybody else that's bummed out that this is over in the same way I am, uh, what I hope is in the coming weeks and months as we get past the turn of the year and we get towards 2019, we all have a reason to feel um, optimistic uh, for the next season and for whoever ends up taking the head coaching gig and and potentially, uh, hopefully, any great new players uh, they bring in or changes to the roster. Uh, you know, uh, as we get into Thanksgiving and the holidays and, and, and trying to think of uh, being positive into the new year, uh, that's really what I'm hoping for at this point. Uh, but if I'm being honest, I, I, it's a little too early for that. Yeah, I think it's it's the idea that Oscar wasn't needed to go. I think it's crazy to me. I, I think the guy is as good, the best coach that this franchise has ever had. The way he dealt with players, the way he managed players, the way he has progressed youth. People get upset about their favorite youth kid didn't play this season, but he's responsible for about half of the homegrowns that we do have and that are successful. He's brought them all along, whether it was when he started or whether when he came back. So I, I don't. I, I don't disagree with what you said. I, I actually do feel fairly optimistic about the team on the field in regards to next season. I think there's a really good defensive core. I think it's a really good core of young talent. There's about five or six guys that are really close to breaking through. And in the next season or two, you could have a really, really talented midfield in particular that's going to be made up all of homegrown players. You know, I, the academy is stocked with lots of talent. Some of the young signings they've made from South America, Arangis in particular, is super talented. You know, the the front end only needs one or two changes. You know, you're only looking at maybe four, five, six new players up and down the roster. Uh, some will be homegrown. Some will be senior players. The development of the USL team is amazing. That's going to be huge, particularly like for a guy like, say, Thomas Roberts, who will probably start 35 games for the USL team. You know, I, I think – the, the future's really bright here for a long, consistent, quality program. And a lot of it's going to depend on who they get. Because at the same time, if you make the wrong hire and he starts jettisoning homegrowns, he starts bringing in the wrong kinds of players who don't fit, he starts changing things up. And now you're looking at a 3-4 season rebuild and the academy's blown out and – all the things that have been working together over the Oscars been working and building on for five years are thrown out, the baby out with the bathwater. That's going to be terrible. So again, you know, we've hit this like 15 times now. Everything says it's going to be continuity and it should be continuity. Well, that makes me feel a little better. We'll see. We'll see. Okay, well, I think we've uh, done as much with this for today as we possibly can. Hopefully, uh, Buzz will do another one of these here uh, between uh, before the end of the year. Let's 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 try to agree to that. 
I think we can manage one more at least. At least one more. At least one more. There's lots to talk about, and it's a long winter. It is. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can always uh, tweet at us at Third Degree Net on that thing, Twitter thing. And uh, everybody have a great Thanksgiving and, uh, and holidays if we don't talk to you before then. Uh, thanks for listening.